welcome to this week's podcast about the poem and the Parsha. I'm Rivi. And I'm Adrian. And aren't we so lucky that it's Parshat Korach? Absolutely. I mean, what gets better? By the way, my bar slash bat mitzvah Parsha. Oh, really? Oh, really? I did not. I was unaware. Although, why? Your birthday's coming up, though. How was I not aware? Honestly, it's next week. And, yes. uh, you know, the Hebrew birthday was yesterday. Oh, my goodness. Here well, we go. Happy belated. Yes, indeed. I appreciate that. And this is not a simple Parsha. No. In fact, when we were talking about this, you said this is a Parsha that tells two stories at the same time. It's We've got one glaring narrative. And then we've got another one, and I would like to hear your thoughts on that second. Because we've got the we've got the Korach story. Like I think we kind of get that. What's the second narrative that you think of when you when you were say, when you were telling me that this parsha really tells two stories? Well, I think what's happening here, which is not uncommon in mm-hmm. life, is that unhappy people gravitate to each other. Yes. And so the complaint of one of the groups of rebellers is not the same complaint as the other group. No. And and they have different consequences. There are different things they're upset about, and they're treated differently by the Lord. Yes. Yes, it's true. It's true. Um, This poem... So I think we should also mention how many poems we dismissed before we came to this poem. I mean, honestly, we kind of shall we say, saunter into this podcast and talk about how we carefully curated a poem. No one is even understanding the depths to which we sometimes have to go. No. But this Parsha, this this was a this was a, a deep dive. This was a deep dive that was unrewarded. Yes, yes. I mean I dismissed Shakespeare, I dismissed Plath, I dismissed Bradstreet, I dismissed I mean, like, big, big names. I was just like, you're just, you're not saying the thing we need to hear somebody say. We wanted to see something, a mirror, being held up to this unsettling story, which, by the way, became very raw this week in Jerusalem as a sinkhole opened up right on Shderot Herzl and a little frightening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how unsettling when the ground beneath you literally falls away. You know, it is unsettling. I have a personal dream to cite, but that will be later on. Okay. Let's hear our poem. Okay, this poem is called Our Cousin from Lublin by John Sirowiecki, who is a very prolific poet and a poet who really navigates the, um, and sort of, and sort of obscures the boundary between poetry and drama. Mm. And so I think in a lot of the, in a lot of his work, we see this sort of, this unfolding of a story that really feels like drama, feels like a play. Um, this, it, and he's, he's very prolific, he's written many, many books, many, many chapbooks. Um, and so this is called Our Cousin from Lublin, published in 2003. After finishing off the bottle of vodka, he says, life is everything children are ignorant of, including us, their heroes, who become small and replaceable. And while remorse pricks us like the holy, like holly leaves, history does not. A map of his country looks like a human face, around an ordinary face, tear-carved and marked by the dead with their graffiti of scratched initials and pleas for air. The map is also me- the memory of an empire, as if the face were overwhelmed by a large hat. He remembers a mural of a saint and how the landscape looked suspiciously like Italy, olive trees, fig trees, a basilica. The saint's beard resembled a caterpillar nest 
and crowded under his cloak were the children of the damned, painted to lock eyes with the children of the poor. He says vodka is a river, and maybe the sea, and they swim in it like children with blue lips and the shakes, waiting for life to overwhelm its metaphors. People in Kiev are paid in vodka and more vodka and assurances that wealth has nothing to do with money. And so we were drawn to this poem for yes. interesting reasons. Yes. Um, the first is the title. Yes. Our cousin from Lublin. Yeah. You know, first of all, who doesn't want to hear Lublin in a poem? And Nobody. Uh, you know, I've been to Lublin, and frankly, if you could see us, everyone who's listening to us, Adrian is actually sitting right in front of a poster that I purchased in Lublin. Yes, and what an uh, emotional... Evocative. Yes, an emotionally evocative poster that is. It is, and it's from, as you can see down there, you know, a museum in Lublin. Yes. And so I have been to Lublin, and... We're talking here about cousins. We're, yes. cousin, we're talking about a family rift, but because the family is the family of Moshe, this is a national catastrophe. Yes. And so Amram and Yitzhar were brothers. Mm -hmm. They were the sons of Kahat, along with a few others, and the son of Levi. And so uh, Moshe is a great-grandson of Levi, and so is Korach. And Korach and Moshe are cousins, and they are not kissing cousins. No, absolutely not. Um, there's also the issue of, we've got an issue of wealth between cousins. There's, there are a few midrashim, I think, that mention how wealthy Korach is. Well, and that we would say in Yiddish, Reich wie Korach. You were wealthy um, as Korach. Because, you know, we also want to kind of wonder, how did he get all those people to be with him? I mean, and, you yeah. know, wealth has that to it, you know. Yes, of course. You well, know, I, I don't think it's a new story to have Moshe the sage and no. the wealthy kind of person who's um, antagonizing yes. jealously against him. Yes, and and um, and I think that is we see that sort of antagonistic relationship here in the poem after finishing off the bottle of vodka. Like, right? Like, we jump, we're right in it. He says, life is everything children are ignorant of. You know, when you read the poem, I thought to myself, we could just stop right there. Mm -hmm. We could just stop right there because that's such a great line. Life is everything children are ignorant of. Hmm. And, you know, we spend our time with children. Yes. And it's kind of lovely to look at children and sometimes think, oh my, what they don't know. Yes. That said, they do know a lot. They do. They, um... I'm always, I love eavesdropping on their conversations between themselves because there's a different social filter than when they're speaking with adults. And there is um, how they, they gain, what's the word I'm looking for? How they, they sort of process what they've learned between themselves is really, really interesting. Um, and the, it's like the voices of the adults are sort of cast aside. And I love their seriousness. Yes, deadly serious. Intense. Very, very serious conversations about, like, big ideas. You know, um, another place in the poem, when we were getting desperate to curate the perfect poem, yes. was this idea of pleas for air, of scratched yeah. initial pleas for air, because, you know, he gets swallowed up 
by the earth. And that's a very unusual consequence. We have in this Torah so far, here we are, kind of midway through Bamidbar, Mm -hmm. we've seen fire, we've seen plagues, Mm -hmm. we've seen ten plagues. Yes. We've seen punishments galore. Oh, yes. But opening the earth, this is a new one. Yes, and particularly brutal, I feel like. There's, um... Brutal and yet very symbolic. Oh, of course. And, and so I've seen, it just reminded me that I've seen beautiful pieces of learning that reference Cain and Abel, Cain and Hevel. Mm-hmm. And as you recall, Cain kills Hevel, our first fratricide, and jealousy between brothers, between family. Mm-hmm. And uh, God says to Cain in his rebuke, Cursed is a land that patsta piha, opened oh. its mouth. And this is the only other place, I believe, in the Tanakh where we have the earth again, patsta et piha, opening its mouth to swallow it up, as if the world cannot tolerate the dissension between brother and brother, cousin, hmm. cousin of Lublin. You know, how do you do this to your mishpacha? That is heinous. The earth yeah. is going to swallow you up. Yeah. I feel like this is the perfect moment to share with everyone that I once had a dream. When I was a young person in Hillel Academy, Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. I had a dream one night that the Hillel Academy parking lot had opened up and there was a streak down the middle of lava and everyone knew in my dream that that is where the earth had opened up and sealed again. And you just had to be careful not to step on it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. The layers, the layers of meaning there. And I think the biggest layer is this story of the earth opening up. It is very compelling. It is. It absolutely is. And I think um, when we talk about things like the earth opening up, I think we also talk about, um, you know, framing it. You were mentioning like we've got this the framing of family violence as being so abhorrent, right? That the earth opens you up, and in the poem here we have, I think we've got like a, a hint of something, but it doesn't say it. It doesn't say and terrible things happened. Well, I'm looking for that place. The map is also the memory of an empire. Yes, that's a really powerful sentence there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's try to really figure out what he's saying. So, especially with Poland, Poland's map changed very often. Yeah. And the map is the memory of an empire. Because if you go back and you look at an old map of Poland, there mm-hmm. was Poland. And then it gets carved up a lot. And, yeah. And I've been to Poland twice, and I've heard it explained that Poland is the center of Eastern Europe. Yes. And therefore, it's the country that everyone is wanting to take over. Yes. And it's the Russian takeover and the German takeover. And and um and then when the when the like former Yugoslavia dissolved, wasn't there? Like yeah. it's it's part of that sort of geopolitical conversation and then like linguistically, Polish is linked to Slovak and Slovenian and, and those sort of Slavic languages, it's not linked to Germany and it's not linked to Russia. Oh no, everyone would be very staunch in reminding you of that. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And so I think that when we talk about the memory of an empire, um, I think that language should be part of that conversation. 
A map of his country looks like a human face, a round and ordinary face, tear carved and marked by the dead with their graffiti of scratched initials and pleas for air. Yeah, I, I really would love to know more about this poet. And um, there's a lot of graffiti. There, there is in Europe. <laughs> there's, there is, and I, I wonder, um, I wonder if there, if the graffiti is in a way a sort of a language of reclamation. Yes, um, yeah. and I wonder if if when we are talking about um, the map is also a memory of an empire that there there is there is a need in all of us to want to reclaim the past, even if the past was terrible. Oh, absolutely, we love the past. We uh, love it. I think a big point here is I'm asking myself the question: Why does it look suspiciously like Italy? And I'm reminded, of course, that Poland is a very Catholic country. Yes. And so here we have a lot of Catholic going on here. The olive trees, the fig trees, the basilica, the saint's beard resembled a caterpillar's nest, and and a lot of the dynamics and and part of the poles standing up to. Um, communism and the former Soviet Union was their Catholicism. Yes. Their strong Catholicism. I want to talk a little bit and explore this whole vodka thing. Mm. Uh, and I, can't, I think in a previous podcast I mentioned, if not um, it seems like I did, that on one of the trips to Poland one of the Polish guides who was knowing that he was guiding a, a Jewish tour mm -hmm. and it was for March of the Living and we were in the camps etc. And one of the children innocently said, but why did they Poles hate us so much. And and he spoke about that the Jews had the license to sell salt and yes, we've talked about yes, that. And vodka, vodka. And vodka. And and therefore there was a lot of anti-Semitism around the Jews selling the vodka because the church was against, you know, people getting drunk and yeah. not showing up to church. Of course. And so we were part of the evils of the vodka, the Jewish people, mm. because we were selling it. We were we owned the inns, the taverns, the vodka, because of course we weren't in the guilds and we didn't own land. Yeah, and so, you know, the vodka is often blamed for things that go wrong in yes. Poland. Yes, and I'm hearing that there it is right there. After finishing yes. off the bottle of vodka, he says, and and there's a lot of vodka in this poem. Yeah, um, vodka people, in the river. Yeah, people in Kiev are paid in vodka. Yes. And more vodka. And assurances that wealth has nothing to do with money. What does Ouch. that mean? I, well, I feel like there is, there is a hint of, like, oppression there, right? Like, you can get paid, here is your vodka, here's your, you know, whatever, your bag of potatoes, and here's the assurance that don't worry, you're okay. It's, this is more than money. Yeah. You don't need money. We've got everything that you need. Which is vodka. Right. And and it, it kind of goes back to Korach. What yes. was he peddling? What was he peddling to his followers? He was, you know, he was yeah. peddling his leadership. He was peddling perhaps his wealth. And, you know, I've noticed that humans think if they hang out with wealthy people, they become wealthy. Yes. Though it's no assurance, as we just said. No. And no. there's also a lot of liquor in those, you know... There is. Well, I mean, I think when you have money, you can freely, you can give freely, right? Yes. And you can give freely of things that are dangerous. Like you have, you have power because you can afford these things that are potentially dangerous. Booze is potentially dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know. And these children, they're swimming in the vodka, their lips are blue, waiting for life to overwhelm its metaphors. And, you know, 
Korach was saying all sorts of things, and he, you know, yes. One of the things he said we have to agree with, and that is, everyone is holy. Aren't we? Isn't something like, aren't we all holy? Aren't we all holy? Is a great line. That really coming. Ki kol haida kulam kedoshim ubetocham Hashem umadua titnasu al kahal Hashem. And so he's saying everybody is holy, and why do you make yourself better than everybody else? And the and, irony. The irony, exactly. The irony and the ugliness of it all, because Moshe was anav mikol adam. Yes. Moshe was the most humble. And when I hear accusations like that, it makes me sim simply say, there's the projection right there. Yes. Yes. I think, I think Korach had everything but the thing he wanted, and the thing he wanted maybe more than anything was the relationship Moshe had with God. Oh. Right? Like, he can get anything he wants. He can get all the vodka. He can get all the whatever, all the gold, all the, right. you know, fill in the blank, but what does he not have? I, he doesn't have the one thing Moshe has, which I, is... I beyond agree with you, because that's, I think, that's also a product of mimesis, meaning I see you and I want to be like you, but by the way, it took a lot of work to be you. Yes. And a lot of character, and a lot of who you are, and one can't simply say, I want to be Moshe. No, no, it's, it's... The internal work of being somebody like Moshe is not touchable by, by the so Korachs. many. By, by the Korachs of the world and the, the followers of Korach. No, because wealth has nothing to do with money. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, assurance. That's right. And yes. let's just hope we all try to lead the good life so we don't end up being swallowed up by the earth. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.